Welcome to the Uncomfortable Grace Podcast, a place where uncomfortable circumstances become the very conversations that could change your life. We all have some understanding of what it means to have grace for others, but how often do we demonstrate it toward ourselves? It is our hope that this podcast will teach you how to unpack the plot twists and to ask intentional questions that invite deep reflection when life seems chaotic. In the face of great resistance, we want to learn how to soften, surrender, and see where grace can take us because it is so much bigger than a Bible buzzword. Welcome to Uncomfortable Grace. Thanks for coming on the show today. Me. Oh gosh, absolutely. So Kirk, you are one of my newest friends and I have so enjoyed getting to know you and hearing your story, um, which is exactly why you are here on the Uncomfortable Grace podcast today. So before we dive into all the, you know, juicy, uncomfortable stuff, why don't you take a minute and just tell our audience who you are? All right. Uh, let's see. Where to begin? Well, I lived in California my whole life, uh, native, and um, grew up in a in a Christian home, Christian atmosphere. Um, went to Bible University and uh, graduated from there. Uh, got into youth ministry uh, for about five years, and uh, then transitioned into teaching, and that's where I've been for the last twenty six years. Never would have thought I would be a teacher, but uh, that's where that's where I ended up. Um, married for 30 years and four kids and most excited that I have three grandchildren now. Um, so currently I'm a math teacher in public high school here in the middle of California. So those are the basics about me. I love that. Did you say you have three kids that are pregnant right now? With three grandchildren right now. Oh, grandchildren. That makes more yes. sense. I was like, yes. wow, three. St- okay. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. Yes. So the oldest one just turned two, the youngest is six months, and it is just, it is as much fun as everybody said it was going to be, you know, the old joke about if, if I had known how much fun it would be to have grandkids, I would just skip parenting, went right to that is absolutely true. So um, <laughs> we're loving it. And it's nice because my, my older kids live within an hour. So we get to see the, see them and see the grandbabies uh, quite often. So it's been, it's been nice. Oh, that's so good. I love that. No, no shade to our children. Right. But yes, I've heard having grandkids is something to look forward to. So that's awesome. Okay. So diving right into the discomfort of all this, we are here on the podcast to talk about what it means to find grace for yourself in the middle of really awkward, messy circumstances. And I know that as a public school teacher and also as a Christian, um, over the last year and a half, two years, you have gone through such an interesting transformation and, and really had to find some grace for yourself in the middle of things that you've always known to be true. And it's very evident that you are such a stable and steady human because, you know, married 30 years in the same career for 26 years in the same area where you grew up, like your stability and your consistency is admirable. It's beautiful. So my question for you is, can you tell us a little bit about what started you down this path of realizing, well, wait a minute, this maybe isn't quite what I thought it was, or perhaps it's time to go down a different path for now. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because you're right. I have had a lot of you know stability in my life and, and been in the same place, done a lot of the same things. Um, for a long time, I was in a, a very uh, safe 
Christian bubble, uh, whether it was you know working in a church, working at a Christian school where I you know spent like twenty plus years, um, and kind of was just in a place where everything was very well defined for me, and I didn't know any better to think any differently. Um, uh, the way I was raised or the way I was taught was like, oh, this is this is the optimal way to approach life. And, you know, we've got all the answers and everybody else is not quite there. And without really coming across in a, in a directly arrogant way, it felt very, um, just very kind of smug. And you know, that's where I was. Um, but everything changed about four or five years ago when I just for some reason thought, you know, I want to explore going into a different environment to teach. Um, I, I liked the school I was at, the Christian school was great, but I just had this, this thought, you know, what if I got into a public school? So um, started to talk to some people and just the timing was right. And so started teaching at a public school about four years ago. And I think really for me, that was, that was a moment that really started to change things for me. Um, seeds have been planted throughout my life. I mean, I would go on missions trips or, or senior trips with, with students and go to different parts of the world see things that are a little different and thought, oh, okay, that's interesting, but you know, I've got things figured out, et cetera. But I think going into the public school really <clears throat> made the biggest difference because I was not surrounded by people who thought and looked and did everything exactly the same as me. And I think there were a lot of, there were a lot of misconceptions I had, like you know, people said, oh, you know, those public school teachers are this way and these public school kids are this way. And, mm. and yet when I went there, I found that some of the most wonderful people uh, that uh, I'd ever met were, you know, people who didn't know uh, didn't know God and were, um, in some cases, very um, very different minded than, than I was. And yet, I was finding that wow, these are great great people. So that really started to kind of make me think um, about, you know, well, maybe there's maybe there's things outside of what I've always known that uh, might have some validity. So. That sort of kind of started to break the ground a little bit. And then 2019, I, I can't remember the dates because everything's been running together, but the the, the summer uh, of George Floyd, I think was very impactful for me um, because when that event happened, for whatever reason, I think for the first time I started to, to say to myself, have I really been ever listening to other voices besides the ones that agree with me? And for, for whatever reason, I just decided, you know what, I want to start listening to people who um, don't think the way I do and, and to do it in a way where there wasn't, there wasn't going to be judgment, there wasn't going to be evaluation. It was just, I just want to listen to other voices. And so I started to, to do that that summer. And it was really interesting because at that time, I was, uh, I was on uh, Facebook a lot and surrounded by a lot of <laughs> very similar type people to myself. And so if I would ever post something about my grandkids or kids or my garden, you know, everybody loves those things. And then I would say something about, oh, this is a really interesting book I've been reading about, about racism. And there were crickets, like nobody wanted to respond or if they did, it was pushback. And so I thought, wow, this is really, you know, this is really intriguing. And the more I started to investigate, the more I started to listen, um, I just found that I was surprised at the fact that I just never really taken the time to listen to other viewpoints than, than the ones I'd had. Um, and I found there were a lot of things I started to agree with that I maybe before wouldn't have. 
So it really just started to kind of open up a path, whether it was uh, people of color, whether it was women, whether it was people in the LGBTQ community, um, just to kind of go down a path of just saying, I really want to be more of a listener. And it was really tough at first because I always wanted to, you know, respond with, well, this is what I was you know, taught and that's different. And, you know, is this bad? Is this good? But uh, uh, that became, yeah, that became a real um, place of growth, but also a place of challenge too, because it, it just showed me how narrow the perspective is that I had come from, um, I mean, much more narrow than I, that I'd ever realized, and that there was, a, there was quite a world outside of that. And so that's kind of what got me you know, moving down the, the path that's kind of led me to where I'm at today. So um, it was difficult. It was, it was challenging, but it was a good challenge. And the more I got into it, I think the more I started to um, just have an open mind and open eyes and an open heart to, to different ways of looking at the world. I love how you noticed the pushback from engaging these difficult conversations and noticed the crickets and just the discomfort around those difficult conversations because you're completely right. They are things that when our life feels stable and or simple or clear or certain, really, when there is a sense of certainty, the the idea that there could be a, an opposing viewpoint that is actually valid is so threatening. And that's not the intention of those viewpoints. They're not showing up trying to say, I will threaten anything that stands against me. They're trying to say, hey, I have something to offer too. There's a rich perspective here. So I love that you were bold in the beloved uh, Facebook arena of <laughs> social media conversations, right? But that is a that is a place where I, I personally have had the same, very similar experiences, recognizing just discomfort. So yeah, you're right. You know, the, the, the Facebook world, because it was everybody I had grown up with my whole life and kind of thought the same way and, and in that same path, that was the time when I started to move away from everybody I knew from Facebook. And that's when I kind of rediscovered Twitter. And I really use it as an opportunity to start to surround myself with be very intentional about voices that I just hadn't ever heard before. And so that became a real, um, a real uh, place of learning and growth for me. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading um, a book by a guy named J.R. Briggs. Uh, it's called The Sacred Overlap. And it was really interesting because he kind of explores the idea that we tend to approach the world, especially as Westerners, with an either or um, type of perspective. Everything's in kind of a binary um, and there's some safety in that, but at the same time, when we really realize that, that a lot of things in life aren't that neatly categorized, that there is a lot of gray areas, those messy middles, those overlaps, and that actually that's a great place of growth. And I really started to find that the less certain I became about things, that became a more almost enjoyable place to be and, and to be able to say, it's okay to not have the answers and have everything figured out. Um, when I used to think that, oh, that would be a terrible place to be, but yet I found that it's much more peaceful to look at issues and say, you know, there can be two things true at the same time, and I don't have to have everything figured out. And that takes a lot of pressure off of, off of me, uh, not to have to decide every issue. And especially even as a, as a Christian, um, I don't have to have every theological issue nailed down. In fact, I almost feel more comfortable saying, you know, there's very few things I'm certain about and the rest of it, 
is kind of up for grabs. And, uh, and that's been, that's been a, like I say, a much more um, enjoyable place to be. It is uncomfortable, but yet there's, there's great freedom and there's great peace in that too. I have that book as well. And I think that he really, I identifies the beauty in the messy middle, like you said, because there's so much, we say this a lot on our podcast too, without tension, there's no growth. You know, you have to, when you're building muscles, they have to tear even just a tiny bit to reform stronger. And in, especially in the world of Christianity, that addiction to certainty stunts our growth. It, Real, and, and there are things that as some, a person of faith, you want to be certain about, and maybe that's certain about your commitment to something, but certain about answers that feel very unanswerable to everyone else in the world <laughs> seems very, it, it's, you're right. It's completely freeing to recognize like, oh, well, what, what is actually available to me? And can I entertain what new thoughts can I learn? Can I think, or what new concepts can I learn about if I'm not obsessed with being certain or obsessed with a very linear black and white perspective or comprehension of my face? Um, and that's, you're absolutely right. That takes exposing yourself to so many new voices. And, uh, I wanted to ask you too, speaking of exposing yourself to new voices, you and I got to meet up for dinner a couple months ago because you went on this, like, you made its decision and it was wild. And I want you to tell the story of it because I love it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, being a teacher, I have the summers off and, and I had um, known I was going to teach summer school during the month of June, but the month of July was, was pretty wide open. And through kind of a weird circumstance, um, my wife is going to be gone for a couple of weeks. Her, her grandmother had passed away from COVID along you know, many months before and they just couldn't have a service and so they scheduled it for late July so she was going to go out with her sister to New York and, and I thought well I'm going to be what am I going to do for two weeks while while she's gone and through um, just getting to know a lot of different people on, on Twitter I realized that there were quite a few people I knew in the Pacific Northwest up in Oregon Washington Idaho and I thought what about taking a trip up there and I had a friend who's in uh, that I've known online. He's from Kentucky, and uh, we have a mutual friend up in Seattle. And we kind of talked about it, and he said, uh, "You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna buy a plane ticket out to Seattle. Let's meet up there." And so that kind of got things rolling. And then I just started to kind of get a hold of people and say, "Hey, I'm gonna be up your way. You know, these days in July, are you gonna be available?" And um, so throughout, you know, throughout Oregon, throughout Washington, Idaho, I think there were. It ended up being about 20 different people that I was able to, to meet. Sometime it was just a one-on-one, -on -one, having lunch or dinner. Uh, sometimes it was a whole group of people that we got together. And it was so enjoyable. I remember the, the day that I left, I had this little brief thought of, okay, what am I doing? Because this is not something I normally do. I'm not the type of person that plans these adventures. <laughs> and, you know, like they always used to tell us, you know, don't ever meet people in real life that you meet online, you know, that's, like right. whole thing. And that's exactly what I was planning on doing for 10 days. So um, I just remember that morning thinking, oh, is this going to be, is this going to be a terrible idea? And the first dinner I had was with a couple of guys who uh, lived up near Sacramento and we had the most wonderful time together. And it was just a confirmation that, you know what, this is going to be a great time. And it was so interesting. The, the one thing that just kept, um, 
kept coming up was that every person that I met was exactly the same in real life as they are online. I mean, everybody is very authentic and all these people that I had, you know, had a chance to just get to know a little bit through, you know, um, through Twitter and, and, and texting, uh, just to, just to be together, spend time to, um, mm -hmm. get to know them a little bit, uh, differently was every time I would meet with somebody, it just got more exciting. And, uh, and again, I'm naturally kind of an introvert. So that, again, that's not normally my, my deal, but I think, you know, I'm kind of growing into this, uh, into this, you know, season of my life where I do want to pursue some of those authentic relationships with people who are like-minded and very, in many ways, uh, very different, um, than, uh, you know, than kind of who I used to hang out with all the time. So, uh, it was just a, it was a wonderful time. I think it was about, you know, 10, 12 days, something like that, about 3000 miles of driving. And it was just, it was just a beautiful time, um, mm -hmm. to, to be able to just to sit down and, and, uh, and meet with people and just further those relationships. And I really, I really have looked at the, the online community as, as my church in this last couple of years. And I know some mm -hmm. people, um, you know, look at that different ways, but, but I think the relationships that, that I've been able to form in some ways have been even deeper and more mm -hmm. meaningful than ones I've had, you know, for, for many years. So it's been a real, uh, you know, source of life for me and, and real source of joy to, to be connected with people. And yeah, just to do something crazy, like take a drive up to, you know, the Northwest and, and, uh, and meet with people. So you know, you said something in there that I wanted to point out. You said, I'm an introvert. So this isn't really my thing, but the truth is this is totally your thing because number one, you kind of randomly decided maybe I should try public school after 20 years of teaching in private school, which is a big deal. That is a courageous act. And that's not necessarily something predicated by, or that something that is necessarily connected to being an introvert or an extrovert. But at the same time, you went on this journey to have these connections that are what give an introvert life, you know, those one-on-one -on -one meetings, those small groups that have been able to go very deep and get away from small talk. So I think in a way, this trip actually really personified this journey you've been going on through your, through yourself and the growth that you've experienced and this movement from being less certain to more curious and finding just a new confidence in conversations where you don't have to have answers. Like you said earlier, I think it's really beautiful. Yeah. And yeah, that's, and I've really seen it in myself too, just, uh, enjoying relationships on a little different level. Um, you know, not so much transactional, like, Hey, what can I get out of this? But just what can I learn? How can I, you know, connect with people? Um, my, in fact, my wife has kind of been joking with me. She says, you know, over the last couple of years, I think you've almost become the more empathetic one in our, mm. in our relationship. And, and, you know, we'll be, you know, watching uh, Ted Lasso and I'm the one over there crying in the chair. <laughs> She's like, what's going on with you? I don't, I don't know. But it's it. I think just being able to to you know to let go of a lot of that certainty, to let go of a lot of that maybe that fear of of what's new, what's different, and just to begin to explore has really, I think, given me some freedom to uh, to reach out more emotionally, to get more connected with that part of myself. And it's been it's been wonderful. It's been very different, very um, you know um, challenging at times, but it's also been very freeing. So yeah, I think all those things have kind of 
have come together. Who are some of the voices that you have been listening to that have shifted your understanding of your faith and yourself and your place in this world? Yeah, that's, uh, well, <laughs> everybody who's not who I am. So in other words, <laughs> anybody who's not white and old and um, male <laughs> and in the West. Um, so I think really it started, actually really started with being very intentional about listening to women. Mm -hmm. um, I had, you know, I'd always been very you know, suspicious about women in ministry and that sort of thing. And in fact, it was just a couple of weeks ago, I went and visited a church, uh, a Methodist church here in town with a, a woman uh, who's the pastor and she preached. And I thought, I can't believe it's taken me, you know, after, you know, 52 years of life to, for the first time to finally sit in a, in a congregation and listen to a woman preach and not be there in, in a judgmental way, but to go, you know what, there is so much I can learn. And yeah. I just, I, I think, wow, there's, there was so much I could have been learning for so many years. And yet I kind of shut out so many wonderful people. Um, so I think female voices have been, have been a big part of, of, uh, of learning for me. Um, I think people of color have been, have been just incredible. I read a, uh, the book by Issa Macaulay, I think it's called, um, reading while black and just looking at looking at theology from a from a black perspective and you know so many things in, in the bible that i never would have looked at the way that he brought out in that book and and so yeah i, I think especially between women and and people of mm -hmm. color um that has been really fascinating for me uh just to see how much more there is out there than i ever thought before so um, and i'm continuing to continue to cultivate those relationships and you know, read and watch whatever I can. Um, and it's just been, it's been wonderful. It really has been. Um, and I, it makes me, you know, want to pursue more. So even when I'm, even when I'm on Twitter and looking for people to, to interact with, I, I kind of, you know, have that, that filter, that lens of, of who can I surround myself with, who mm -hmm. isn't going to say all the things that I've heard my whole life. And even if they are, even if they are kind of pushing some of the boundaries or, or making me uncomfortable, I think it's worth it. It's worth it to have those voices in my life rather than just here's all the people that are going to agree with me. So mm. I think what's really lovely about hearing you even recounting some of the people that you've encountered or, or heard from is the authenticity in your experience and the way that obviously I didn't know you before, but I can hear the sincerity in your voice and in the way you're telling your story. And that makes such a big difference because as a woman who has never really been quiet, who has always been in ministry in some form or leading, I didn't really experience a lot of cognitive awareness around, I'm not allowed to speak, but my experience of hearing other people talk about me or other women in leadership blew my mind because I was coming to the table saying like, well, of course I have something to say. Why would you discount me as a human because of my gender? That seems kind of, kind of banana pants. Like, why would you discount an entire half of the creation? And as I read more about the rationale behind it, and to be fair, I've always been very, uh, fortunate. The pastors we sit under at our church are incredibly loving. There's male and female pastors on staff and everybody is just incredible. Um, but the, the reasoning behind dismissing someone over 
um, a misunderstanding of background or a lack of compassion or just a, a misinterpretation of scripture, right? It, it boggled my mind. And so I have appreciated in the same way, hearing the rationale for it and finding a way to be tenderhearted, not in a, because it would be one thing to be very angry about it and say, how dare you and start, you know, Twitter wars and all of the things. But I think there's incredible mercy that comes to the table when you recognize, wait, you can continue that us versus them conversation and fight back and say, how dare you? Or you can bring mercy to the forefront and recognize, I think they're getting it. I think I have an opportunity here. And yes, it sucks that it hasn't been available for a very long time, maybe ever, but I'm seeing breakthrough. I'm seeing light coming through the cracks here and there. And so I think you are absolutely one of many that is leading the charge in that arena, which, so thank you on that front, (laughs) but, but I'm also curious with that in mind, like how has this transition in your, in your thought process and just your, your scope impacted your family and your community in, in person, bearing in mind that of course we're in a pandemic. So I know that has a layer too, but. Right. You know, what really comes to mind is I think the, the perspectives I used to have, the way I used to think there was a lot of walls built up, um, you know, gatekeeping was, was a big thing. It was never said out loud, but, you know, both as a means of keeping people in the fold, like, okay, here's what we think. We're certain about this. You dare not step outside. But at the same time, those walls keep out everybody else around us. And yeah. you know, I really never realized that before, but now looking at life as, you know what, I, I don't want to be a gatekeeper. I don't want gatekeepers in my life. I want there to be much greater openness, much greater uh, you know, freedom to, to not only explore out beyond my own boundaries, but to welcome in people who are, who are very different. And I think that's been that's been a good thing in our family. Um, my, my youngest daughter and I have had a lot of great conversations. She's a, she's a sophomore in high school. And I, you know, I think at times, I don't know that I'm going to change the minds of um, 60 year old men who are set in their ways. And I don't really care to, but I have a chance to have some great conversations with my daughter and to help her as she's kind of starting to think through some of these big issues. And so we've had some, like say, some great times of, of talking and you know, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And for her just even to kind of see the things that I'm doing and, um, you know, to, to kind of maybe learn by observation uh, has really been, has really been a neat, uh, neat journey for us. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, it's been a little bit, it's been challenging. And, um, you know, my, my wife and I, I think are, are both headed down the same path, but maybe not exactly at the same rate. And I think that's, uh, that can be a real challenge, you know, for, for couples. Um, it's probably rare for any married couple to be on the exact same journey on the exact same path in the exact same way. Right, right. So, so that's, but that's been good. It, it has created a little bit of, of good tension where we've had to enter into some conversations and, and probably opened up some um, discussions that maybe we never would have had before. So, um, so I think it's been very beneficial uh, in, in my family and, and I think it's just helped me to be a, um, I don't know, a more open, more receptive person here in the home um, and to be able to model that too um, for my kids and, and for others around me. I love that you're engaging your kids. Cause I think as uh, you know, adults, we even 
look at our parents and say, oh, okay, I don't know, I don't know how to see them as a grown up, right? I still think that kid or the parent child relationship is always a layer over being able to actually just be two adults having a conversation without pretense. So that's beautiful. Uh, I have a question. I have one last question for you. Um, what would you say to the audience member who's listening that is maybe on the other side of where you are, who is someone that maybe is filling the role of, I will keyboard warrior my life for Jesus. I will defend the certainty. I will draw the line in the sand. I will break ties with people who are I'm defining as a heretic. You know, that person who is frankly hurting and scared out of their mind about losing their faith or their faith being trampled or, or whatever fear that they're carrying that they're communicating over social media or even in person, what, what advice would you give to that person now that you have gone for a couple of years on the other side and you have found not a complete loss of your faith. You're not walking around and saying it was all BS and I can't believe I gave so much of my life to it, but you are healing in a way that actually broadened your, um, your narrative without damaging people around you to do so. And to, again, I guess being fair that you haven't really experienced any like religious trauma or abuse in the church. Like, like you said, it's always really been very safe and easy for you. So with that in mind, what would you say to someone who is maybe the kind of person that you were someone that was very certain and is feeling an inkling of how to ask questions? Yeah, that's a, that's a good, that's a good question. I, the thing that comes to mind, I think, first of all, is I've really rediscovered um, a love for the gospels and for reading them, not to get theological truth out of them, but just mm -hmm. to, just to really observe what kind of person was Jesus and how did he interact with people? And I mean, so many of these stories that I've, I've read over and over and over again, and tried to get a you know, here's a truth to glean from it. Here's a way to apply it to my life, but to kind of set that aside and just observe, you know, how did he interact with people? And it just, it continues to strike me how, how many times Jesus just enters into a situation to listen to a person, to be with a person, not with any agenda in mind, um, just to, just to be with them. And, you know, and he definitely saved some of his uh, um, more dramatic moments for the religious leaders. And, and there's a certain approach he takes to them, but, but to the people that would approach him, the people in the multitudes, um, that compassion that he has for people has really, um, has really struck me in a way that I don't think it ever did before. And so I would really, you know, encourage people you know, to think about how did Jesus interact with, with people that came his way, especially people who are different from him. I think of, of the, you know, the woman at the well. Um, you know, I mean, you could have had two more different people. Yeah. And he did not come into that situation with an agenda in mind. Um, it was a very compassionate um, interaction. There was a conversation. It wasn't a, just a monologue. It was a back and forth. Um, or even think about the, the story of the, the woman caught in adultery. And I, one of the things I love about that story is the way it ends, it's almost a throwaway line at the end where after he takes this time to affirm her and to 
to love her. He's like, oh, and by the way, uh, sin no more. It's almost like that's an afterthought. It wasn't that he was mm-hmm. coming in with, okay, I found the issue that I'm going to confront you on. And I've got the, here's the six Bible verses that'll prove you wrong. It, you know, he set that all aside and mm-hmm. just listened and, and loved people for who they were. And I really think that's, there's great power in that, um, not to, not to have an agenda with people, but just to want to connect with them, to listen and to be with them. And that makes such a difference. And when you get to know people at that level, um, it really does, it really does change your perspective. I know it has for me and that's the kind of person I want to be, um, so it's the, it's the approach of Jesus that we see in the gospels that has been um, just come alive to me in a, in a way that I don't think it ever did before. I love that. I find that Jesus is always in pursuit of revealing identity of who we are and our value as creation, as people who he is with and present with in the midst of the storms and the, yeah clusters that we get ourselves caught up in. He is always present and generous in all things. And I think the story of the woman found in adultery is one of my favorites. And I even hate the title of it. Like the story of the woman who is being abused by these men (laughs) and was rescued um, because they were dumb enough to bring her to Jesus and (laughs) confess their sins. Right. Uh, Okay. Story for another day. I just love how his tenderness toward her is the complete picture of what we are called to do when we find someone who is wounded and has been harmed and has been taken advantage of our role is to say, Hey, you are safe to turn to the accusers and say, are you kidding me right now? You want to go down this road? You should probably just walk away, bro. Yeah. And it reminds me of, of what I think it was Brene Brown that, that talks about one of her books that it's really hard to hate somebody when you get up close and personal with them. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's easy to keep them at a distance and be judgmental and condemning. But boy, when you are up with somebody interacting, yeah. it really changes things. And I think that's that, that's that bold step that a lot of us you know, need to take is just to find ways to, to be close and to, to connect and enter into worlds that maybe we haven't yeah. been in before. And uh, that makes a huge difference. I would even say become close and quiet instead of talkative, like engage your curiosity, (laughs) find out something you didn't know before. Oh, Kirk, I think we could talk about this for days. So instead, I will simply say, how can our audience find you if they are intrigued and want to interact more? Well, uh, you won't find me on Facebook, so uh, <laughs> don't, uh, don't go searching there. But uh, I am on Twitter. Uh, that's where I that's where I spend most of my online social media time. So, uh, Kirk McCall sixty eight is my is my handle there, and uh, um, I would love to you know connect with people uh, there. Uh, one of the things I love to do on Twitter is to is to pray for people. So I often put out uh, posts just asking how I can I can pray for people and encourage them, and that's been. Uh, just a wonderful journey as well. So um, that would be, uh, that'd be great. I would love to, I'd love to meet more people and make more connections and, and continue to learn. That's right. Your prayer journal, you finished an entire journal in like 300 days or something and started on a second one. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> started it last December and just, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, 
build it up and start it a new one. So that's, uh, yeah, that's been, that's been a tremendous joy to, mm. to, you know, to walk through things with people and, and to kind of see that, you know, some stories have happy endings, some don't, but mm. to be there alongside people to encourage them and, and just to know that, that somebody cares, uh, has, has really been a, a great way to connect. And, and I've enjoyed that. I think that speaks to, again, to your introversion, but courageous behavior in the, in, in the middle of that is to say, I need to draw close on an individual level because it's one thing to throw up thoughts and prayers, right? And to say, oh my gosh, I'm praying for you. Or you can go a step further and using social media, pray right then and there, right? But to say, I'm actually committing to you. Here's my book. You could be making it all up, but the sincerity with the way you interact on the other side of those prayer requests is so so intentional and cultivated. It's something that we could easily all learn from. So thank you for that. Well, thank you so much. I've enjoyed, yeah. I've enjoyed the conversation. I appreciate you, Mandy. Yeah. Oh, same Kirk. Thanks for coming on our show because you're wonderful. And I'm so excited that we got to have this talk. Yes. It's been great. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Uncomfortable Grace Podcast. Each episode is recorded and produced in Medford, Oregon by Kayleen Brown, featuring music by Mixon. We're so grateful you made time to listen to this episode, and if anything stood out, we would love to hear from you. Connect with us on social media, and please share this podcast far and wide, because everyone needs a little more grace for the middle of their messes, and we've got plenty to go around. Talk to you next time.